Apple is like a ship with a hole in the bottom, leaking water. And my job is to get the ship pointed in the right direction. <laughs> Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to the Arm Yourself podcast presented by Arlenco Distribution. Today's show is brought to you by UNV Cameras, better security, better world. Cameras that simplify installation, save bandwidth, and use less storage. I am Cameron and I am happy to be here today. Uh, this this week, later on in this week, we're going to be having um, another guest in to interview. It's Jason from Jason Harris from Napco. Um, he's going to come in and we're going to talk to him about um, the Gemini panel, the iBridge platform, all the cool stuff that Napco is doing right now. Um, Jason, it just so happens that uh, that. Jason has a history with Arlenco Distribution, and he's a very uh, one of one of our better salespeople. But um, anyhow, he'll be talking a little bit about that stuff. So uh, be sure not to miss it. We're recording on, I believe, on Thursday or Friday, and then um, we'll have the episode posted on Monday. So anyhow, um, over the weekend, I I took home um, an Intellinet mesh router. And I am old enough to remember um, (laughs) pre-networking in your home days. Um, You know, you had a computer, you were lucky if you had a phone line installed by the computer. And um, in fact, I grew up in a home without a computer. I did everything I could to um, get close to a computer to um, learn about computers. I took the classes in schools ge- generally, um, aside from a few of the rich kids that I went to school with that had computers in their homes. Um, the only way really to get in front of a computer was to go to the school or the library. And um, functionality was very, very limited. So you, so you couldn't, there were a lot of things that you couldn't do on a computer. Um, you know, like today, there are things that we can do on a computer that we couldn't do. We have access, semi-access to the kernel, like through a command line. We can um, write uh, scripts that manipulate. Um, they don't manipulate the operating system, but they allow you to perform uh, functions under the hood. And, of course, all of that was you was available back then, but you know, in the schools and the libraries, they had canisterized the operating systems on those things. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. So anyhow, um, I assembled, a lot of people say I built my first computer. I, I think the days of building computers are probably long gone. As a matter of fact, um, computers have always been assembled um, you took you went out and you bought the parts and then you put them together um, and then made them work. And even like the original Apple one, um, Steve Jobs, when he delivered all the computers that he sold to his first customer, the customer had no idea what to do with them because um, none of them were assembled. I think it was just basically the the motherboard with the processors and um, attached and everything. but 
um, I assembled my first computer. Um, it, it wasn't until after I was um, going to college and um, we had saved a little bit of money and we were able to buy a computer. And, and I believe we paid probably around $23 to $2,400 for the computer. And um, it was an advanced computer. The, the processor was one of the higher-end processors that was out. It was a Pentium 3 500 megahertz. I remember the specifications. It had a, um, a standalone video card, um, a video card that um, didn't have onboard video. Um, they, it, it had, I, I believe it was an ATI Rage like 16. It had 16 megs of, of onboard memory, um, you know, which was very, very unique um, to, to have a dedicated processor for video. Um, I think it had like 128 megs of RAM. <laughs> um, it I bought a modem for it. I think the modem was like 150 bucks or 200 bucks, and and it was a 56k modem, which is one of the faster modems. But at best, I could only get like four four kilobits per second, not bytes, uh, four kilobits per second down. Um, whenever I dialed in. I think initially my first internet provider was like AOL. Um, but, uh, you know, before then, you know, the schools had T1s piped in and things like that. So you had access to um, high-speed internet at the time. It was high-speed. I believe a, a T1 at the time standard was 256K. Um, 256K guaranteed over, I believe, 24 channels. So basically... You could have 24 computers all downloading at the same speed, um, divided over 256K. Anyway, um, the reason why I wanted to talk a little bit about bandwidth um, and nerd out a little bit today, hopefully this doesn't get too boring and too far into the weeds, but um, part of the reason I wanted to talk a little bit about it was because there have been tremendous advances in bandwidth. Um, but bandwidth isn't exactly the, what, what has allowed to happen, happen. So now we're streaming video. So in those days I had, I believe it was real player, if I'm not mistaken, and you could connect to like a news site and, and watch a video uh, but the frame, the video frame, and anybody who's listening to this um, that can relate will chuckle when they hear this. But the video frame on screen was maybe one inch wide by like three quarters of an inch tall. Very, very small. And it was blocky and chunky. And the video quality was very, very low. And um, anyhow... That was the best you could do. And and you had to let it buffer, you know, before you could play it. And and real that's what kind of what real player did was real player um buffered the video feed for you. Um and actually I believe that those were the days of Napster. So you could download MP3s and song files and things like that. Um for free. My, my brother was doing it on all the computer lab computers at the school. He was in high school still, but 
he was telling me that, um, Hey, there's this new service called Napster. You should go check it out. And anyhow, um, the downloads, I believe at best were like four, four kilobits per second on my line. But what you did on Napster was you tried to find those T3 pipes. So you knew that there were probably some computer junkies out there that work for big businesses or schools or something that had these T3 pipes installed and they would, you know, provide feeds of music for everybody. And of course it was highly illegal and, um, you know, was later shut down because it violated publisher rights. But that was sort of the beginning of the digital content um, sharing. And then, of course, Steve Jobs came along in, I believe it was iPod days. Up until then, you could rip your CD and then write it to an MP3 player, which did exist before the iPod, believe it or not. But he introduced iTunes, which allowed you to buy the, the music. So I know this is all old hat. Everybody understands it because this is the world that we live in right now. But before those days, bandwidth was very, very different. It looked very, very different than it did today. Um, vid, there were video compressors, um, things that took video and then um, compressed the size of the video down so that it could squeeze down a, a four kilobit per second um, pipe so that an end user could watch the video. There were compressors. They weren't the best, but there there were compressors, but they have slowly evolved over the, the years. Um, so um, that said, fast forward now, 40 years, 30 years um, to today, all of the video that we store on any digital video recorder or NVR, network video recorder, all of the video is digital. And we're not talking about a one inch wide frame by three quarters of an inch tall frame. Um, in the first days of digital video recorders, that wasn't far off. Um, standard video had 480 lines high, and then uh, I don't remember the width, but the width specification on a standard video resolution camera. But th those were that was sort of the resolutions because on a TV, a scan and pan TV, you had 480 lines of horizontal resolution, right? So the the TV scanned through 480 lines and refreshed the image. Um, that's where we get the resolution 480p because uh, 480i was an interlaced signal. So you had um, on, on a TV, the, the processing was too slow to write an image progressively on screen. So it would write every other line. So it would write line number one, line number three, line number five. And then it would go back and write the even lines um, and that was called 480i interlaced, 480i, uh, 480 interlaced. And um, that was the standard TV signal for years and years. But then um, 480p sort of changed the game. And I think that was original DVD quality was 480, 480p because they were, they were writing the lines progressively. So 
you would write line one, two, three, four, five, all the way down and, and cameras became 480p. It was a better technology, better resolution because you didn't get this interlacing artifacts, these interlacing artifacts on the video when you were looking at the video. Like if you're fast forwarding or rewinding, sometimes you, if you looked at a video frame, you'd only see every other line you didn't, didn't see or the lines didn't line up because they weren't being written fast enough. You also had to go back to, um, uh, you know, I think frame rates on standard video recording was in the neighborhood of like two to three frames per second. It was very, very slow. Um, and then you had to go through 300 tapes worth of video content in order to find the incident that you wanted to recall. And then your end users had to swap these video cassettes out. So we've come a long ways. Um, this podcast is not about um, old technology, but um, I wanted to sort of create some context around this this video tech because today um, 720p is is it's even actually not the de facto standard for the industry anymore. It's 720p. So I was talking about 480i, 480p. Then we jump up to 720p. 720p is 720 lines of resolution. That was really sort of the first quote HD resolution unquote um, available. There were actually some others here or there, but um, 720p was sort of the the uh, first HD resolution. And TVs that came out were 720p. And then um, when you watched a 720p full screen on a monitor, a computer monitor which by the way has a lot more lines of resolution than um, TVs did. Um, and so when you would scale the, the video up onto a computer monitor, it looked like junk because you were taking a, a low resolution video image and then you were scaling it up for a computer monitor. Um, computer, computer monitors have always had higher resolutions than televisions, but um, anyhow, so, when you would take that 480i image and then you would send it over the internet down a 4K pipe and you watched the video not scaled on a computer monitor, it was this little video, right? So a little video frame. So you would blow it up, real player allowed you to resize the, the image but it was just junky looking and <laughs> i mean it was it looked like the video images from like an old cell phone so anyhow 720p did improve things dramatically like it was a dramatic change but then the first time i saw 1080p or 1080i which is true hd resolution i was floored um, I just remember seeing like Discovery Channel programming and some of that stuff on a 1080i or 1080p display. In fact, I built a home theater in my house that had a projector that would run at resolutions of 1080i, not 1080p, but um, 1080i. And and we couldn't believe it. When, when we first turned it on, um, it looked amazing. So... At the time, cameras, um, surveillance cameras, you started seeing 2 megapixel and 1.3 megapixel cameras come out. And they were very expensive cameras, um, but they were good uh, cameras. 
Um, but what they did was they transmitted the signal digitally. So they didn't transmit the signal in an analog fashion. Actually, I believe that started at 720p as well. But um, anyway, the the video signal, was, it, was, it was the difference between like what was a cassette tape and a CD. So a CD is ones and zeros. A cassette tape is magnetic sand. That's the difference between the two. But it was the same thing. So when you went to digital video, in fact, most most low-resolution cameras at the time were actually digital. So what needed to happen was the transaction. We're not just talking about sending video over the Internet. The transaction, the video that's being sent from the camera to the recorder had to be digitized. Well, the amount of bandwidth that you would need to send a digital video from the camera to the recorder was pretty high because it was uncompressed digital video. So think about that. If you're sending 15 frames, so that's 15 high-resolution images a second, 15 frames per second over a bandwidth, over a, um, a line back to a video recorder, you would need a dedicated line, right, um, you'd think, from the camera back to the recorder, which is what happened. So there were two or three technologies that came out. I believe most of them were invented, um, pioneered in, by Hike Vision, but HDTVI and um, I don't remember the other one, but they they both basically what they did was they they transmitted video over coax coax is a very very fast and efficient uh data transfer cable actually very underrated still to this day but um there were still compressors that they were using these compressors they just weren't awesome they've been getting better and better and that's what allowed people to watch netflix and digital video over the internet um, became far more practical. Um, everybody thinks that the ability to watch video over the internet is 100% attributable, attributable to um, the fact that internet speeds have gone up. They have, um, and that is is a contributing factor. But video compressors are really what has made it so that the video... Um, can be transmitted. So if you think about unscaled video or video that is in a compressor that is not compressed being transmitted over a single line from a camera to a recorder, boy, this is a boring podcast. I am so sorry for boring everybody out, but um, I think it's it's critical to understand this in order to understand what you're getting. So uh, fast forward again, we're going to skip forward a few more years to UNV video compressors. So video compressors had been, uh, I believe that there, they had somewhat been standardized. So you had H.264, H.263. There were tons of them, MPEG-4. There are a bunch of video compressors. Um, and, and actually I believe those compressors are subsets of MPEG-4. So, so I apologize to the real nerds for, for that. But, um, anyway, the, uh, the compressors, what they did was they, um, they take the video and they compress each frame. 
as it's transmitted, and then they have to be decompressed on the other side so that the processing power on the cameras have to be greater, but the, um, the pipe between the two doesn't have to be as big. So now you can install a bunch of cameras on a network and have one data pipe going into um, a recorder and you have the, all the cameras out there talk talking and and generally it's better to to control the network environment as opposed to tap into an existing network environment because you have no idea what um, characteristics your or that network has and what the the backbone looks like you have no idea what um, it, what is being done on that network um, that so if you create your own network you're just going to be better off. Um, and Telenet switches are, have been very reliable for us, you know, when we were for those. And, um, but you install your own network infrastructure and then you have these cameras. So you have UNV cameras, what they did, they're actually a data comm company. Initially, they were not, um, they were not a CCTV company. I believe they purchased a CCTV company and then they consolidated both of them. So they are very, their optics are very, very good, but um, they're, they're, they're basically their history is in Datacom. So they understand this tech tech. So they took an industry standard compressor, H.265, and they created Ultra H.265. So let me just give you some some numbers really quickly. So standard IP using H.265 even, standard IP tech, the standards are that you can't have more than 300 feet of cable between two devices. So that is the longest IP line that you can run. For any IP-based device, the standard recommends 300 feet. You might be able to get away with more, but the resistance is too great. Uh, for the distance and the um, the signal loss is t- is too significant. Um, so really, you what happens is the signal diminishes um, over resistance creates a diminishing signal. Um, and so the what what happens is is that your speeds drop. So as resistance increases, this, the speeds drop on on a data pipe. But um, on a standard system, that 300-foot barrier was kind of an issue, but it is also an issue when you're dealing with, um, you know, a camera that you need to get out 500 feet. So you could in, you could install a signal extender, a signal booster. We have these PoE injectors. Um PoE injector also acts as a network replicator. In most cases, it'll take a network signal and a PoE, and then it takes the signal. Or you could put a dumb switch or smart switch in the middle to extend the signal out because that switch has technically 300 feet between it and the device or it and the end device. So um, those are different ways that you could extend that signal to 300 feet. But UNV, what they did was they created this technology that uses such little bandwidth, Ultra H.265, uses such little amounts of bandwidth that the signal, they're saying the signal can be extended up to 1,000 feet. So if you think about that, what that means is that, that they're compressing the video down and, and it still looks good. It's, it's using the H.265 
.265, which is an open source industry standard. Um, but they're doing something else to it as well that's proprietary to make it even smaller so that you can get this bandwidth um, extension. But another beautiful byproduct of that is that the video itself is smaller. And, and as long as you have an encoder that can write that video to storage, you're also writing the smaller video to, to the storage. So you get also get storage benefits from having video that's compressed down. Now, other manufacturers have, like I believe Hike Vision has one as well, um, but basically nobody speaks that intelligently about it um, on their side, and we can't get any solid answers. They might have something that's comparable now, but um, still, the UNV H.265 tech um, seems to be the best out there. There's just nothing like it. So I, I'm guessing that you can probably imagine how, what an advantage that is to have video. You can send more amounts of data, right? So you can increase the megapixel rating on a camera and you can store more amounts of data that's compressed smaller. So the, the resolutions can be higher. The frame rates can be higher. The camera distance can be higher. Um, the interface on the camera doesn't need to be a gigabit interface. It only needs to be a hundred megabit interface. 10 by 100, I believe, is what most cameras are fitted with on on uh, that they have. So there's just the video compressor, the, the genius is in the video compressor and not as much the hardware. The hardware is tremendous, but the video compressor is really what makes the difference. So that, I just wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about the major, in my opinion, the major selling point to UNV cameras. Um, we have a customer who installed the system. They have 64 cameras piped into one recorder, 64 channel recorder. And this is unheard of, by the way, five years ago, completely unheard of. 64 channel recorder. At least 12 of those cameras are, are fish eyes. Um, eight megapixel fish eyes. 24 of the cameras have microphones, so they're piping audio as well. The fisheye cameras also have microphones. And the recorder, the only issue the recorder has had since it's been installed is that the, um, the firmware had a glitch. We got an RMA, swapped out the recorder, and... The cust our customer hasn't had any problems with the, the system since. It's been online. It's a 64-channel recorder. So initially, when we helped them design the job, we had specced in 264-channel because they were expanding the job, 264-channel NBRs. Um, in reality, we probably could reduce the size of that because you always want to leave somewhere in the neighborhood of 30% traditionally, 30% uh, bandwidth um, room on top of what you're using on a system. But 
these systems are just very, very good. They're very efficient. The way they handle the video is very good. The amount of hard drive storage. Oh, one other thing. Those 24 cameras, it's a school. Those 24 cameras are in classrooms. They are recording 24 full frame video recording, not motion-based recording, not event-based recording, but full frame video recording for eight hours a day because they're in classrooms. So the audio and the video feeding into the recorder, full frame, full resolution. It's impressive to say the least. So these systems are amazing systems. Um, some people are trying to find answers that they, they support, by the way, on VIF um, technology, UNV, UNV does. Um, so they are backwards compatible. That is an industry standard. They can be used in, in almost any system that supports on VIF. Um, but, um, Really, when you're putting in a new system, you want to put in something like this um, as opposed to something that might not have some of these benefits or features. So we've had people ask, uh, you know, will this work on this platform if I'm putting the two together? It's like, well, is it a new installation? Yeah. Well, then why would you want to put in this other system? Because... These NVRs have the um, H, Ultra H.264 encoder, encoders built right into them. So anyhow, I believe that I've kicked the horse, the dead horse enough. But um, UNV cameras are amazing cameras. And they have changed the game again for um, CCTV surveillance, IP camera surveillance. And the cameras, not only the optics, the optics are amazing, but, um, and that's what most people look, look for is good optics. Is it handling lighting well and that kind of stuff? But, um, the brains behind the brawn on these systems, um, trust me, it's just better than most out there. So anyhow, and, and think of also about the implications of, uh, transmitting video, over non-local area networks, um, networks that are remote, for example. Um, just there's a lot, a lot to deal with, to go with here that, um, that we think that you'll love. So uh, go into an Arlenco. Every Arlenco has UNV cameras on the shelf. Most of our stores, I, I don't remember if all of them do, have a fish tank with a UNV camera inside the fish tank. Um, they're not, we don't endorse the use of underwater use of these things, but they're rated They They have the, the weatherproof ratings on them. They're very, very robust cameras. Um, and we, the Salt Lake store, uh, fish tank camera, for example, has been in the water. There's actually, um, algae growing on it. <laughs> it's been in the water for so long, uh, but go in and check them out. Um, they're, fantastic systems, one of the best systems out there. So, and, and I would argue that they are the best, uh, system out there hands down better than even the, the big names that supposedly have brand recognition like Axis and, and some of these others, these will win in a shootout with, um, comparable tech, meaning comparable specs. The tech is different. The tech is more advanced. It's a better, it, um, the software written onto these things. It's just better. So anyhow, all right, this is uh, Cameron at Arlenko Distribution. Join us on next week's episode for 
um, in an interview with Napco. We're going to be discussing the Gemini panel. It's a fantastic, in my mind, again, one of the best security brands out there. It's been around for a very long time. Very, very reliable, very, very robust. And then the remote connectivity that they built into that thing is tremendous. The, the ability to log into a panel over a cellular uplink, write programs to the panel, write programs to the radio remotely. You can manage all this. They have a dealer knock, a way to, to administer um, your customer accounts. Anyway, fantastic system and one of the best out there. Their iBridge keypads, I mean, I could talk forever about that thing. But log in uh, next week, download that episode too, um, and check it out. This has been Cameron at Arlenco Distribution. Remember, arm yourself with information. Well, there's always going to be great new things that come out of other companies, and you want to be in a position to benefit from those, to have those inventions drive demand 